Art and Bold Spit Podcast. Art and Bold Spit. We are back. On time. Art and Bold Spit Podcast. We are here. Welcome to episode 86 of the Art MBS Podcast, the podcast by artists for artists and art lovers. I am your host from the West Coast, broadcasting from Fresno, California in the Cultural Arts District. Broadway Studios, you guys, let's get some housekeeping out the way. Shouts to the cats over on Apple holding us down. Hit us with that review and that five star. We're battling the algorithms. Family over on Spotify, hit us with that follow. We'll see you guys at the end of the year in the wrapped up thing. Listeners on the web, we appreciate you. Four cats over on Patreon holding us down. Keep that hand sanitizer on deck. Stay six feet apart. You know what's really happening. You guys are the real MVPs, man. Yeah, we are here. So announcements, we still have books for sale. We still have the Teespring popping. We still got all of that good stuff. Paintings, all of, you know, the the articles, man. You want some coffee cups? You want some socks? You want some crew necks some t-shirts? We got you guys. On to the plugs. Hit up, um, you know, all the homies, whether you want some glass over aspen hand and you need to get at them before they stop uh before they stop they're actually retiring a lot of their their pieces so hit up aspen hand over at aspenhand.com or on instagram you want some labels some quality stickers or vinyl gamble over at wild style signs gots you and then yeah man he gots you what gamble done did you know what he did y'all um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> last but not least have some respect for your artwork put a batican on it hit up nigel he'll take care of it he let me hold them casinos like a surrogate what you want the tondos the tabernacles the flemish corners the dutch ripples man listen we are here it's extremely serious man another episode and somehow we keep trekking along um it's officially april I believe when this episode airs, it'll be April. Um, Yeah. So I guess we will have what I like to call an executive letter from the desk of the management stating that um, we're still running a uh a bunch of women on the podcast like the yeah it ain't over. We we going into overtime. Um forget Women's History Month. It, could, it should be all year, you know what I'm saying? So I feel like April, we'll go ahead and hit you guys with um, an extended cut and get some more ladies in here and, um, yeah, get some returning ladies back. And, yeah, man, we got some great stuff popping. We got some stuff planned. So without further ado, this is an exciting episode. I was excited to do the interview. I'm very excited to get this to you guys. So, um, yeah, man. You saw me just get out of the whip. I mean, it. I mean, we here. First time listeners, we appreciate Ill nigga you. Alert. Ill nigga alert. It's time for the, uh, yeah, the record. First time listeners, we appreciate you guys coming out. Returning family members. Hi. <laughs> I'm not doing that with y'all, man. We're about to get some music going. For those who don't, um, who don't know, if you're a first-time listener, this is the part where there's a really awkward silence. I fumble for the record, and we get some stuff going. So without further ado, let me get my record right. Art and Bold Spit Podcast. Art and Bold Spit Podcast. 
we are here. Podcast family, what up? All my artists, what up? 86, man. It's been a long road, you know? I remember when we first started this joint, you know what I'm saying? Rest in peace, Combat Jack. Rest in peace, Larry King. Tax Stone, hold your head. I appreciate all you guys listening, man. Art and Bold Fit Podcast. Art and Bold Fit Podcast. Blaze it if you got it. Sip it if you got it. Big J, what up? Young Breve, what's poppin'? Unc, where you at? Russell, what's good? It's been a long road of painting and podcasting, you guys, but we here, we doing this. We just here doing levels. You know what I'm saying? I had to get back on my on my white papers on this joint. It's a classic. About to talk about some V Bears. Talk about some Jeromes. You know what I'm saying? We out here. Shout out to the boy I was that made me the man I, I am today. NUA crew, what up? UPSK, what up? Yeah, we here, man. Art and BS Podcast, episode 86. We back in the mix. Don't get it twisted like a double helix. Shout out to the ladies breaking hearts and breaking pockets. So I think we're going to bring you guys home, man. We've just been vibing now. It's been a beautiful run, but we're going to continue. Man, let's just ease into this. But if I ease into it, man, you know, we want some museum stuff. I got to really get into it because when I'm, you know, when I'm in my museum vibes, when I'm, when I'm painting, how's it go, man? This is how you feel, man. Let's, let's, let's get to it. Like, yeah. Art and Gold Fit Podcast. Art and Gold Fit Podcast. You know what I'm saying? Let's, yeah, get classical with it. Need a classic, yeah. Talk to him. This is how I feel about art, y'all. You just be thinking about drawing and painting. You know what I'm saying? I might have to arrange the composition. You might have to flip it up. 
Rock with it, y'all. Rock with it. Art and Goldfit Podcast. When you pay, you just call up. That Burt Hubbard, that Flake White. Rocking on this one, y'all know what I'm doing. Shouts to all the scholars out there. For real, man, we have forget about y'all. Healthcare workers holding down. We appreciate you. I sing this to my paintings, y'all, while I'm painting. Just off key. Art and Gold Fit Podcast. Mm, yeah. West Coast bouncing to it. Aunties, where you at? 30 up. Rock with me. With luxurious thighs. I see you. Taking this podcast to the next level. We hear y'all. Taking it to the Haggin Executive Director. You know what I'm saying? Deputy Director Talk. Come say yeah. We hear y'all. Yeah, just I'm vibing, man. Excited. It's been a long road. Just looking back, man. And we did that. Sent them emails, you know what I'm saying? Booked them joints. Packed up, lost my cords. Started off nothing but a Samsung S7 and some game. Look at us now, man. We celebrate. Shout out to everybody who's been celebrating out there. Let's celebrate. Okay. We're going to get to it, man. Art and gold fit podcast. Art and gold fit. Art and gold fit. Art and gold fit. Art and gold Art and gold fit. Art and gold Art and gold Art and gold Art and gold Man, we just gotta take y'all home. You know what I'm saying? Art, 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 art and Bold Fit Podcast. <laughs> oh, you, I have entirely too much fun doing this. Um, yeah, episode locked. 
uploaded. And you know what's funny is I can't even really say on here where I'm at or what I'm doing because the ops, man, as much as I want to say like, yo, this is what move I'm making. I'm, I got this joint locked and loaded for y'all because I'm, you know what I'm saying, I'm over here with some luxurious just chilling up in there. You might see me drawing something with some lights. <laughs> I enjoy the episode, you guys. I'm off doing something I got no business doing. Art and Bold Fit Podcast. Art and Bold Fit Podcast. Art and Bold Fit Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Art and BS Podcast, the podcast by artists for artists and art lovers. We're back in the mix. It's episode 86. We appreciate you guys coming out. You've seen the cover art, you read the description, so you know who is in the building. Man, listen, it's an exciting day, you guys. We have uh, a person who is actually on the podcast bucket list when I started this thing, uh, finally in the building. We have a person who you guys may have heard of, and if not, we will bring a lot of things to your attention. If you're in the California area, Central California and the Stockton area, and you've been to the Hagen Museum, and you've uh, appreciated some of their work, you may have met this individual if you've had to you know tie some ends up on the fine art end of the museum aspect up you may have you may have uh you know had to write this person a letter or send them an email or you know come across their um writings on instagram from some sort of perspective but we're just going to get to it man episode 86 Susie from the Hagen is here I want to give you guys the the luxurious pleasure of giving her a warm round of applause let's give it up for Susie from the Hagen how are you doing Susie I am doing fabulous thanks for having me today thank you for being here it's an honor and a privilege So, Susie, can you hear me? Yep, I sure can. Okay. I'm here. So we're we're dialed in. We're just going to get to it, okay? Sounds great. Okay, I'm let's, ready. Okay, let's Bring get, it on. Let, let's get to work, <laughs> right? Okay, yeah, let's get to, we're about to get to work. So what was your first memory seeing art? Oh, you know what? That's really easy for me. Um, I grew up in Southern California and my parents were members at LACMA, and so we used to go to all of the big exhibits when I was a kid, and they gave members uh, coffee table books, and my parents would go to some of the shows, and the first coffee table book that I really remember them bringing home from one of those shows uh, was a Monet mm. exhibit that they had seen, and then, and this will tell my age, the first show I really remember going and seeing was King Tut on that original run of King Tut to California, not the most recent. Mm. And and so um, uh, those those two just had a huge impact on me. And I'm talking, I was a young kid when both of those happened. Mm-hmm. Wow! Wow! legendary so at that point i'm curious like so your parents they had an appreciation for the arts when you were coming up and that kind of facilitated your love for um the fine art correct 
Yeah, you know, that's one of the things, and as I've been in the museum here for 19 years, it really has shown me, you know, all the research says that people really gain their love specifically for museums, but arts, if it is a taught behavior. And that's one of the reasons it's so important for us to get to young people and give them exposure to the arts at any level, Mm -hmm. because to understand that it's valued just like one other professions, but other creative sources really does start with valuing it at a young age. And I think I'm a perfect example of that. Mm. I will also add um, my aunt um, has been an opera singer. So there's also been performing arts um, that was part of my life from a young age. Mm. So, okay, let's talk a little bit about that uh, for a second. So now you were going to see her perform in the operas? Yep, yep. And um hate to tell people this, opera is not my favorite medium, but um, <laughs> but but family love is is mm-hmm. important mm-hmm. um and and so um did did that for years and got got exposure to a lot of great places um also too she sang opera in many different languages which mm. just exposed me to a lot of things that I would not have otherwise been exposed to and um, I was a young kid, and uh, she went and worked at the Opera House in Berlin. And so I also started seeing that it exposed to world travel and and and, and bigger views than just um, necessarily local or U.S. And I think that that had an incredible impact on me, even though not my personal interest or love. Mm, wow. I hear it. Okay, okay. That's that's wild. So before we move on to the to the next thing, I'm curious, what were some of the um some of the operas that she was a part of that stood out to you? You know, it's funny, um uh, Deflator Mouse was one of the first ones that I ever saw that she was in. And then later on, um it, it became interesting to me, um she did um, several Russian operas at mm. the San Francisco Opera House, and, you know, they have a big Russian community there. And that's something that I knew nothing about, so it mm. wasn't even really the operas themselves, but exposing me to sort of the the Russian community and the, the different themes and, and, and that you could still follow operas or whatever uh, performance or art that it is without understanding the language and learning to communicate um, more through through gestures and emotion than necessarily the exact words of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is that's a very interesting part that because uh, you know I've I've never personally been to the opera, so you know that's one thing that I was curious. Like, if it's in Latin, is there like a booklet that tells you like what's you know what this particular act is 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 about, or is it up to the viewer to take that in themselves? And, you know, that's interesting because most of them do have some sort of program that, that you know, here in the United States is in, in English. But it is amazing, 
You really do, just like, um, you know, when you're one-on-one with a person who doesn't speak the same language as as you do and and you're motivated to communicate, um, it is amazing how well the message can be communicated, um, regardless of the language. Um, It really is an interesting interesting thing. I think it's how much people do want to connect in most situations Mm -hmm. and um, that in so many ways... um, People and emotions are the same across language, ethnic, uh, um, uh, male, female, all of those type of things. There really are more similarities than differences. And I actually, opera in a different language is a great way to see that. Mm. Definitely. So if you guys are listening, take in some opera. And uh, I myself, you know, it's uh, I need to take in some opera there. Well, it, once it, you know, things open back up, I'll have to yeah. check some out online currently. But um, yeah. I would like to go and, you know, ma- maybe check out Phantom of the Opera or something. Um, <laughs> shout outs to all the thespians out there. Exactly. So now I'm curious. So, okay. So you're traveling, you know, like to see your aunt while she's doing these things. Um, and are you, when you're in your teenage years, are you like still like, are you in school taking classes like art history and things like that? Or like nurturing? Cause it seems like you, you had a, a foot in, in the culture, you know, like of, like art from a childhood to your adolescent years through like going to the museums and then having family that sang opera. But I'm curious as to like, um, you know, in your, in your teenage and your college years, were you figuring out like, I want to major in art history or I just have this deep love for all of this. How did, how did all of that manifest? You know, James, I, there's 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 part of me that would like to make it some packaged, beautiful story, mm-hmm. and um, but but the truth is, I can't. You know, I did have an incredible uh, family upbringing, and 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 had had a lot of options that they gave me. Mm-hmm. But like so many people through high school, I was much more interested in in going to parties and surviving, and 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 there there were. Probably Probably as long as decades, where where appreciation for these things um, got lost on me somewhere, mm. um, and, and so I, I find it I, I find it a little bit interesting. And um, I actually went to college in your neck of the woods at Fresno State, and um, and ended up um, actually I worked at the Bulldog Foundation there in athletic marketing for several years, so a, a very different realm. And a lot of people, um, and actually tell you the truth, this frustrates me. You know, people sort of separate um, sports and arts of, of being two separate sides of, of, of our society. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and I actually um, view them as having so many similarities and 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 it's about excelling and it's about um pushing yourself and finding answers for yourself and utilizing your talents and and commitment to your your talents and your resources so as much as many people see those things as as having zero relationship i actually find 
them um, with a person's mentality to have a lot in common. But um, anyway, I, I sort of came up much more through the business side of it. And then um, when I had the opportunity at the Hagen, it sort of um, mixed some some passions that that had been given to me as as a young kid, and to bring my business background to the industry, because I will say, and I mean no disrespect, because there are a lot of people out there working their tails off, um, but I think too long museums and nonprofit organizations have forgotten that they're businesses and um, and with all the great things that come from being mission-driven organizations and exactly why I'm proud to be here, um, if we're going to be here and have an impact on our community, we, we have to be successful businesses too. Mm-hmm. And so I come much more um, from that side of it. I do not have um, much true artistic creativity, but I will say I think that I've always been uh, creative in finding ways to sort of solve problems and work through things. So I think my creativity pays off for me greatly in the museum industry, but is not necessarily what is typical. I hear it. And sometimes it takes uh, unconventional people to solve things, right? Yeah, and I completely agree with that. And I agree that it is really nice when you can find a mix. Um, you know, and I think that that's always what's hard hard for people is, is to find a mix of, of people that specialize in what you're trying to do and, and some from other disciplines that can sort of help bring that balance um, to where you really want to be as an institution. So I'm curious, how much has the Hagen Museum changed since you've been there? Like, what was it like when you got there and what would you say uh, it's like now? You know, that's, um, I, I so much would love to hear how someone else would answer that. But I will tell you one of the things that I am really proud of, and and I admit it's the entire team, and I also want to give a shout-out to the James Irvine Foundation as I'm going to tell this story. They gave us two grants that totaled six years um, um, back in um, uh, 2007 or some such year. That started. And what they got us to do is think bigger. I think that many people, many institutions are are sort of boxed in with their thoughts of what they were doing. And we really, through this grant process, they helped us sort of build our internal capacity to recognize why can't we do that? that we should be trying to do what we want to do. And um, there are many, many wonderful community museums, but we have to make the choice. Are we going to be a pleasant community museum, or do we want to strive um, to, to be 
bigger, better, have more of an impact. And we have all said that that's what we want to do. And and I, I, I think that we're making strides to that. But mm-hmm. more than anything, we're not limiting ourselves in our own minds um, for that. And I, I, I really do think that that's some of that capacity building um, that we did. One of the things that I know people say, and they mean it as the greatest compliment, and I recognize that, Mm -hmm. but they say, oh, you're an incredible museum for Stockton. I want to just be an incredible museum. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter where we are. And there will always be bigger museums, museums with more resources, I am not saying that I think that, you know, we are the, meant to be the number one museum in the world, mm-hmm. but I don't want to be looked at as a, a great museum for where we are. I want to be looked at for a great museum with what our, 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 our capabilities and capacity is. For sure. Well, I will tell you, as someone who, you know, is new to the museum circuit, but I try to go to museums when I can. And I've been to a few different museums. The Hagen definitely does hold up uh, as far as, you know, what what you guys have, what you guys try to do is with the traveling exhibits and things like that. Uh, yeah, so you guys are, are definitely holding it down. Thank so, you. I appreciate that. Right, right. And I remember one time, because um, I know uh, there was like a traveling Picasso exhibit there once, right, yep. a few years back. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, that was pretty cool. And, you know, to tell you the truth, as an artist and, and so many artists that listen to your podcast, I'll tell you, you know, that's that's one of the things that we struggle with the most is um, artists, and, and especially young artists, mm-hmm. um, want, want an opportunity to show in the museum. And I get that. There are, 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 are many, many reasons why that that's important and why I think we have an obligation um, to do some of that. But it's really a hard balance because Picasso is a great example. We're the only institution right here in our community that has the capacity to bring a Picasso exhibit. And so many, especially of the young people in our community, don't have a chance to get to the bigger cities or, or, or more expensive museums. Mm-hmm. And so we may be the only chance that they ever have to get to see an, uh, a Picasso or any of these big-name artists that you've seen. And mm-hmm. so balancing our temporary exhibits and, and providing that opportunity that, again, we're sort of the only local one that can provide that, and yet giving new and younger artists an opportunity is a very hard balance with our temporary exhibits. And and the one that, you know, at some level keeps me up at night, you know, um, go back and forth of, 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 of what's right and how to balance that. Mm. So, yeah, this that's a great segue. You, you're good at this. Um, <laughs> you're really, really good at this. So, okay, so while we're on the topic, so how does one balance that? Like, is it you have, like, 12 months in the year? Like, are you breaking them up, like, quarterly? Are you, like, how, are you, like, looking, like, four years out? How does that, how does that work? 
Yeah, well, in general, our comment is we usually try to have our temporary exhibits booked two, two to three years in advance. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so that's an interesting thing, too, as far as being timely. You know, there are sometimes when these great opportunities uh, pop up when there's something going on in our society or or, or, or something, and, and, and it's difficult to adjust because they are so uh, booked so far in advance. Mm-hmm. And um, there's, you know, we say we have two temporary galleries, and we basically say we change them every six to eight weeks. But some of the temporary gallery shows we have are in both temporary exhibits. So the number gets cut down significantly if the size of the exhibit it fills both galleries. Mm-hmm. And then um, um, basically there are a lot of these temporary galleries that are for rent and or temporary exhibits. And um, obviously budget is always an issue. And so how to balance the budgeting issue is is big. And then um, a lot of times we'll want to do um, an exhibit with a community group, mm-hmm. and it's clear that there's a lot of meaning to it and it's the right thing to do in our community. But there is a huge issue if that community group is a group that has any infrastructure themselves that can help us and partner in the curation Mm-hmm. or if this is something that we have to do all of the research for the labels, the support materials, mm-hmm. and, and that type of thing, because then balancing that infrastructure with a staff size we have is very difficult. Mm-hmm. We also are both an art and history museum, and so we try to balance art and history in our temporary exhibits so we can sort of say, stay true to both the art and history element. And so I used to get frustrated. I would look at our temporary exhibits sort of in a, a one-year window, and I would be, oh, my gosh, this year we were really heavy on fine arts. And this year we were only doing um, non-traditional shows to attract new audiences. Mm. Um But what I figured out for me, and I understand the public doesn't necessarily look at it this way, I sort of have to look at what we're presenting over a a three- to five-year period because some of it is just your availability to book, the Mm -hmm. budgeting, um, opportunities that come up. Because that's the other thing is that, as most museums, but especially a museum our size, um, our temporary exhibits and our programming are somewhat what we live and die by with new audiences. And so, you know, for example, we did a temporary exhibit on the Stockton car culture, and and we had muscle cars. Um, we had uh, low rider cars, we had race cars, um, but so we had to work with a bunch of different groups, but we were trying to reach a different audience and to also expose people to the fact that arts are part of their daily life. I mean, the mm-hmm. artwork on some of these cars is is magnificent. Mm-hmm. Um, 
You know, you know this because we have uh, a big collection of American illustrator J.C. Leindecker, but um, we've done mm-hmm. a lot with um, um, some of the comic book and, and uh, graphic novel artists and making sure that those genres are their due respect, that there's a lot of creativity in addition to the fine art. Right. And this is true. Yeah. That JC Leindecker exhibit. I remember the first time I came to the Hagen, you guys were doing the renovations. And then after that, he has like a, it's a huge exhibit now. It's like upstairs and you have the drawers that you can pull out and the actual cereal boxes in there. And yeah, it's really, really nice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting to be honest with you, we still haven't done a good enough job of, of sort of marketing that collection. And it was it, it's just a whole series of, of, of circumstances that that has left it a little bit more in the, the shadows. Um, because when we did that big renovation, you know, it was our fine art collection that had come from the Hagen family. And so that Leindecker collection almost, you know, fell as a, a secondary but the truth of the matter is we have the world's largest museum, public museum collection of Leindecker's work, and that just is, isn't known. I mean, Stockton, California, the world's largest museum collection of J.C. Leindecker's work. Can we is, get some air pretty, horns for that? Yeah, exactly. Um and as you know, there are a lot of things about our fine art collection just because they're not the individual biggest names of, of, of the masters. But but that collection is just incredible, too. Well, hold on, though. To okay. be fair, there's some heavy generators in there, right? We got Bougereau. Oh. We got V-Bear. Yeah. We got Jerome. <laughs> We got Bierstadt. I mean, there's some, and the the Hagen the Hagen Museum has some crazy, high level paintings, like by some crazy masters. Um, it's a phenomenal, yeah, it's a phenomenal museum. And then you have the American illustration side with all of that line decker stuff. Yeah, you know, I always look at it um, when. Um, Several years ago, the Getty and the D'Orsay did a, a Jerome exhibit, mm. and they went throughout the world to both public and um, private collections to put that exhibit together. And at the time, um, they wanted us to loan four of our Jeromes for that exhibit. At the, we did only loan two um, because they are such a big uh, piece to our collection. But I think it's fair to say that, you know, we have at least four of the best Jeromes in the world. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Incredible pieces. You know, um, I, I will say, um, and I'm sort of going to go back to a, a, being a kid and, and um, appreciation, appreciating art, mm-hmm. but something that's interesting, um, um, my level of personal art, was always originally about the kind of things, and no, I can't afford it, but that I would like to hang in my living room, you know, art that I wanted in my house. And I will tell you um, 
the Orientalist movement had had never registered with me like that. And um, I had seen, obviously, Jerome's through, you know, through going to various museums. And when I came here, we had these incredible works. But there, it was actually not till we actually had one of our Jerome's conserved. And I saw it sort of on a table under a different light. And I saw the detail and the intrigue in it. And it really broadened my horizons to my love for that work, even though it's still not what I would select to be, you know, my living room art. Mm. And and that's one of the things that I, I really think that people that don't have the opportunity to go to museums or or see it and and by the way, this is in galleries also who think it's the same scene digitally. Um, just those moments with a piece of art and and letting it sort of expand your horizons and recognizing it doesn't have to be everything to you, but but that it was a human's brush strokes on it and 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 this piece came to life. I think is is one of the things as museum people we need to get um, the public to understand how moving that can be for those who don't already love art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is true, and I mean to your point, and I've told this story on the podcast many times, and I'll tell it again. Um, when I first went to the Hagen Museum, I went to see. Uh, the Bougereau painting and it wasn't there and then you guys did the the renovation and then it was there but that wasn't the painting that got me the painting that got me was the red portfolio Um, and that painting I wept in front of that painting I was just like man this is crazy like this level of care that went into this small panel um and I'm curious that that's an oil painting. So why is it? Why is like that one of the few paintings that's behind glass? Oh, you know that that's actually an interesting story. If we would planned it, I could have had you lob that to me. That's so so great. That actually is a um, encapsulated, temperature controlled frame. So it is an all inclusive. Uh, unit and at some point and I will tell you it is the way we received it so we have left it but um, the panel was not considered to be in that great a shape and so they did that when they conserved it to help keep it in as good of shape as possible and I will tell you you've seen some of the large paintings we have that painting in that frame is the heaviest painting in our collection it is a monster to move and and not that large a piece but because of that temperature controlled frame mm-hmm. it, it's crazy yeah it's really nice it's elegant and it is it's a beast of a frame <laughs> i do want to tell you though our bougaro is interesting and i would say i should have known this but i probably um, could not have imagined it. 
we used to have it before our renovation in um, the Hagen Room, which is our biggest gallery. And we had some wainscoting, so it was technically hung a little higher than people would say that it should be hung. Mm -hmm. And so when we did the renovations, we moved it to another gallery, which is a little bit smaller. We lowered it to the, the level that it is ideal to be hung at, and then we had improved the lighting. And I can't tell you, that painting is one of the single most affected by the remodel because mm-hmm. I feel like it is so much more intimate now. Mm-hmm. And as a visitor, you can almost feel like you're part of it. Yep, Before, you, you were sort of looking up, and so it was a piece of art. And, and so the difference of the remodel and hanging it sort of at, at, at what I would say is the more appropriate level, um, I really think has enhanced the visitor experience. Now, is the appropriate level is it eight feet? Is that how high it should be hung, or is it six feet? Or what's the what's like the museum standard for hanging a painting? You know, um, they actually hang it by the midpoint, and um, they do the midpoint from the the floor. And I believe it was 48 inches for these. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, and uh, it, it is interesting. I will tell you for us, um, like when we do have events and you have tables and chairs, it, mm-hmm. it puts the frames and everything more at risk if people get too close to it. Mm-hmm. And so I understand why these are, are big decisions, but I really think it gives the visitors a lot more um, a chance. And intimate is the only word I can think of mm-hmm. with the art. Yeah, for sure. Yep, yep. You know, there's been times like I was, I've been thinking like getting a tarp and coming down there and doing like a drawing study. <laughs> like, hey, let me go ahead, let me get set up a little drawing board and and do a do a master copy in here for a few hours. Uh, I think we could probably make that happen. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, let's slowly. <laughs> Definitely. I so, think we can make that mm-hmm. happen. So now, Susie, like, are you, you guys are, are, are preparing to open back up, correct? Yeah, I have to tell you, we are one of the few counties in the state that is still in the purple. Mm-hmm. And um, we won't be able to open up until we're in the red tier. Gotcha. Obviously, every Tuesday when they're making announcements, we're hoping we have been led to believe that it won't the announcement won't happen this tuesday so we're hoping the following tuesday and we had previously been saying that once we get the announcement we will inst- institute our our two week safety protocols because um, we've already done this a few times, but we want to bring in a crew to do a deep cleaning right before we reopen and that mm-hmm. type of thing. Um, I'm hoping now that once we get permission to reopen, that maybe we'll be able to open in a week instead of two, just because we're eager to get open. And, you know, we've been trying to take care of all of that. You know, we got the new MRF 13 air filters in our HVAC system. Mm-hmm. Um 
it will be a limited capacity um, will be masks because our state is still uh, state ma- uh, mask mandate. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we we feel, um, and then I guess I'll be perfectly honest, we feel that museums got a little lost in the shuffle. I wouldn't want to be making all the big decisions, you know, that people have had to make at the state and federal level, but um, we feel like the museum is, is safer than a lot of things that have been allowed to reopen. But we, we know it's a serious issue, and, and we know um, that we want to be as safe for our visitors even before the pandemic. So adding some of these things like the air filters um, seems like an, a, a natural improvement to make. Mm-hmm. So I, I would anticipate that we will be open in the next few weeks, but I, I've had lots of guesses throughout the last year. <laughs> Right. Not always been right. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. That's interesting, though. That, and I, it's it's crazy because I would have to agree with you. The museum and art industry has been it's been affected and it's been uh, kind of you know they put us on the back burner. Um, yeah. So at some point, and I know the museums in L.A. are supposed to be opening. I think the first of um, April. There are some museums opening out yep. there. Yep. Um, so that'll be interesting. I want to go and check out. They have a Henry Oswa Tanner painting out there. And I want to go and check yep. that out. So, yeah, yep. crazy. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's funny. Obviously, because I sit in the mu- museum world every, every day, you know, a lot of my comments are about that. But, boy, I also want to take this opportunity um, and I know so many of your listeners are artists, so I, I, I'm sort of um, um, preaching to the choir here. But, you know, one of the things that is obviously always a struggle um, for artists is um, somehow in our industry, people think that they can ask artists to do things for free or for discounted prices and you know no one goes to their attorney and asks them can they comp them something and um, artists have been hit really hard creatives as a whole during this this pandemic and 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 to remember these are our, our professionals making a living and and um, paying for services is 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 how professions work and that artists should not be treated differently than that. Um, I know it's, it's, it's people in the business community and everything that we really need to be making those comments for um, much more so that artists themselves, because Mm -hmm. they see it and live it. Um, But, but I do think that this is a really important time because I know a lot of you artists have been out there hustling like crazy, um, to, to make ends meet and everything during this crazy time. Mm-hmm. Let's make some noise for Susie. <laughs> Let's make some noise for Susie supporting uh, through the through James's pet portrait commission fiasco and being patient with me. <laughs> we got them done. Yeah, I appreciate the support, Susie. <laughs> Oh yeah. no no my mm-hmm. my pleasure I I was excited to do it 
Oh, that's great stuff. But yeah, it is, you know, and that's the thing that I think is important too for artists, um, staying consistent through COVID and like making work. And then it really forced everyone to, you know, step up their, their business sense because what we had prior to that was the luxury of you know public gatherings whether it's like first friday in some cities or first thursday in fresno but without that we had to still cultivate the relationships with collectors and and seek additional outlets or you know maximize where we're currently um selling our work at so that was one thing that was kind of it's it was a bad thing, but it was a good thing, you know, because it it forced you to really hone it in. Um, so, yeah, that's, no, that's I th- a cool thing. Hmm? I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, the other thing that I believe with uh, sincerely all my heart is, you know, when when life gets back to normal or whatever that is. I, I think those things, like you say, First Fridays and, and, and those type of events in communities are, are really what is going to help this recovery, you know, get people to get, get their, their, their soul back um, <laughs> by experiencing these things and stuff. So I, I hope arts and culture has a real boom in this recovery. You know, obviously, you know, there's some income issues that are going to keep some opportunities down. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I, I think maybe that, that valuing of, of, um, of, of things that are inspirational to us and things that move us will really have its place to shine. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, how has the whole shutdown affected the scheduling with the museum? Do you guys have like, are you backed up with the exhibits from before the shutdown or how does that work? You know, I, I have to tell you, there are some museums that this has probably been a nightmare for. I have to tell you for some reason, and it was just, luck. We have not had as much heartache as a lot of museums. And for example, you know, we were able to open for two weeks in, I can't remember if it was October or November. And, and we had an exhibit up Arthur Beaumont. He, he was an um, artist who um, did primarily Navy ships. Yeah, that was the ships. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And um, but that exhibit is actually owned by the Irvine Foundation or the Irvine uh, Museum out of Southern California. And we have been a, a partner museum with them over the years. And so that was a very low rent exhibit for us. So we were not out an extreme amount of money mm-hmm. and two weeks of people got to see it and the Irvine because of our relationship says when they're done with their touring if we would like to try to bring it back they would be open to that so we had that situation um, Mm. that that was not nearly as bad partly because it wasn't a financial Um, there are two exhibits that got downright canceled that were both um, 
artists. One was Stockton Art League, which is our local Stockton Art League. But they do a every other year they do an exhibit with us, which is an open juried exhibit for all artists throughout the country. Mm-hmm. But because it is a juried show with individual artist submissions, it just didn't have. Um, they just weren't able uh, to do that this year and that or last year. And that was also the case. We were supposed to have an exhibit with the pastel society this year. So those two shows had to cancel, but we weren't out any money, which Mm -hmm. you normally would be. And the pastel show was supposed to open this early May Mm -hmm. and And we have a great relationship with Bank of America, and they have an extensive collection. And so Bank of America is going to um, let us borrow a show for them, which is is not have a rental fee that will open in what would have been that spot in this May. And we believe that it'll we will be open. And it's on a conservation and sustainability through the arts. And there are, are um, people that have done some reclaimed artwork. There are photographs by artists that have been uh, moved by this kind of movement for years, such as Ansel Adams. Mm, okay, and so okay. we're, we're just getting information about this exhibit. We will be the first museum Bank of America has ever showed it at. But... We had a cancellation, we had a partner that was willing to stand up, and we did not lose funding at at a a level that a lot of people would. Because, um, you know, a lot of these rental shows are a huge part of our annual budget. And to have spent that kind of money and and Mm -hmm. not been able to have the public see it is not only a travesty, but does have a financial impact. So we 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 just got lucky you know i'd like to say we were really sophisticated in our planning or something that was downright luck but mm. i will take it right so if all goes uh well then uh we're looking at may for that show yep yep exactly and and i don't anticipate any problem with that you know i i expect we'll be open I really think early April, certainly mid-April. Um, Wait, Susie, did you just break some news on the Art MBS podcast? Is that breaking news? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not sure yet. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm playing it safe. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Because I'm, I'm kind of feeling myself right now. Okay, yeah. We're here. We're done. Um, I- mm-hmm. I, I will break news that won't matter to many people, but it, it, it truly will be breaking news. Um, um, uh, next week, mm-hmm. um, I'm actually going to be named uh, the museum's new CEO. Hold on, let's give a warm round of applause. Hold on, we got to give us some applause for that one. Ooh, 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 ooh. Big things. Congratulations. Thank you. I will tell you, it comes with mixed emotion. My boss has been here for 37 years, and I feel like we've had a real partnership. Mm-hmm. But he he's retiring to spend time with grandkids and everything. 
So, so for both of us, I think it's, you know, it's a winning situation. Wow. That's, that's crazy. Like, man, it's so this is like, it's kind of like when um, I'm trying to think of something that happened that was similar to this in uh, in music because I'm a I'm a very big fan of uh, music analogies. Oh, you know what? What's crazy is Susie is we've been so much on the art we haven't even got to any of the BS. Yes. <laughs> okay. We haven't got to okay. any of the BS. So hold on. Let's get to some BS for a second. Okay. Okay. That's fair. Okay. Okay. So you have a chance, right, to um, to host a dinner party or a poker game with five people, dead or alive. Um, they can be oh. historical figures. They can be artists. They can be whoever you'd like for them to be. Who are these five people? Oh, man. And you know what's bad? I'm going to do better for you on this, but I am going to start. And, and those of you who have with, with a really salty answer, but it's the truth. You know, now that I've lost my mom, my mom would be the first one at the table. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. <laughs> you know, and, and, mm -hmm. and she definitely would. Now, I will tell you, she would also, though, be be the first one there to, to help with the BS on that. So mm -hmm. maybe I'll still let her sit at, sit yeah. at the table. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, mom's is there. Uh, yeah. And... Um, you know, you you won't believe this. Um, um, maybe it's a, a, a tribute to her. I'm going to have uh, Freddie Mercury at the table ooh, with us. Ooh. And, uh, <laughs> because uh, we're, we're going to enjoy that. And then I'm going to circle back to art for me mm -hmm. and, and say, I really would like to have... We have an artist in our collection named Marie Lawrenson, and she was considered to be um, um, one of the, the women that got into art school that wasn't supposed to. Mm -hmm. She went at night school. Um, um, she was friends with Picasso and everything. So I'd like to hear her tell me what her true story is, not what, what art historians are telling me. I want to hear her true story uh, there. Okay. And, my God, I only have three at the table so far, mm -hmm. and it's an eclectic group so mm -hmm. far. Mm -hmm. um, um, oh, what direction will I go? Great question. Mm, come on, I can do better than this. Um, I, I, and I, I, I probably, again, too, you will see how, how warped my, uh, my, um, my, my music taste is, but I'm also going to go ahead and have Jim Croce there. Mm. And um, let me see who else. I was trying to think if there was any, um, oh, and you know, th this one I would not normally answer, mm -hmm. but 
I want Frida Coilo there because we're going to have an exhibit of hers at the end of the year. And so I want to make that exhibit as good as possible for the public. So I, mm. I want her there with me. Is that breaking news? Yeah, pretty close. It oh, is pretty close. Oh, man. Let's get some drops. Art and Bullshit Podcast. We are here. Episode 86. Is it 86? Yeah. <laughs> Susie from the Hagen. We're breaking news out here. Wow, Frida Kahlo exhibit. That's that's magnificent. I, I will definitely be there for that. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's a different exhibit than most. It's really about how her garden inspired her. Mm. So I, I think it I think it'll I, I really do. I think it'll be interesting. Our curator went back, um, they they did a, a training for museums that were going to get it to get a little bit of exposure, and she really thought it was going to be great. So it's almost more of a history exhibit about Frida than her artwork. Okay, okay. Yeah, so for so. the Frida lovers, for and if you don't know about Frida, you, man, do some research and come and check it out. You guys, this is going to be a beautiful thing. Yep. Yep, so I got my five people, and I, I gotta, I gotta have them for dinner because I don't really know how to play poker. I can, I can dig it. I can dig it. And I also think my poker face probably sucks. <laughs> well, you know, it's all about having a great time. That's that's the whole mission. <laughs> you know, that's the yeah. whole mission. Yeah. Because I mean, your mom sitting between Frida Kahlo and Freddie Mercury is nuts. <laughs> appreciate that i yeah. promise you right no like <laughs> just imagine the jokes that would be happening right yeah <laughs> yeah that's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful thing so so it's 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 cool like we we're talking music so let's talk where are some of your other music tastes while we're on the subject you know what um <laughs> i i um I grew up with, um, my parents were young, um, at the time, uh, uh, and, um, so they listened to music around the house and I will tell you that my music taste, although I like a lot of music, mm -hmm. the root of my music taste has not changed much. And that is, is, is virtually, um, uh, 70s rock <laughs> Boston the Eagles yep yep you know what I, I'll just tell you um, uh, I went to the Eagles for my 30th birthday and for my 50th birthday <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh, yeah, yeah. And, and you know what they were looking old to me, and so I guess maybe I should have a realization there, but I'm not ready for that. <laughs> oh, that was crazy. And, 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 and I have to go back to um, my friends and I from college, um, so all Fresno State uh, people, there are seven of us, and we each have a day a week during the pandemic where we're texting uh, a song and and so I have been sort of chronologically doing it through through my life um, and it is just amazing to me again sort of how the taste hasn't changed 
you know, I, I did start, you know, my mom loved the fifth dimension and I had the age of Aquarius and, and, and those type of things. Well, yeah, and because then, I was about to ask you what your favorite Pink Floyd album was. <laughs> and you know what? It is funny. I admit my uh my 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 text my day with my friends from college is is uh, uh friday and uh my song is going to be the wall this week mm -hmm. yeah yeah classic <laughs> and we again don't need no education and and i will tell you um, my roommate one day couldn't do her post uh, from from Fresno State, and so on that Monday I did one that was a tribute to her, and um, I did uh, you can't touch this because when we were in college we went to the Belle Biv DeVoe. And, okay. And um, MC Hammer concert. Okay. So if, if that. If that doesn't date me. <laughs> nah, you were, that's live. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. Y'all's tapped in. Okay. I like it. Yep. Yeah, Belle Biv DeVoe classic. One of my um, favorite groups growing up. Yeah, I had the tape and I would just, yeah, Poison <laughs> and all of that good stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, that's so you have quite a a list of concerts under your belt you want to can, can you talk about a few more you have some other uh yeah oh. mm -hmm. <laughs> now don't forget i i don't know if i've said this i grew up in la mm -hmm. and so we were pretty close to the forum uh oh i do have to say um i had just done this on these um i went and i was in high school and at the time, you know, it's gone back and forth between names. Mm -hmm. But I went to the Whiskey A Go Go, <laughs> which was what it was called at the time, mm -hmm. um, to hear Huey Lewis, Huey Lewis in the news. news. Wow! But that's not really the story. Mm. We're out there, and there's a group that opened for Huey Lewis and got booed off the stage at the Whiskey A Go Go because everyone was waiting to hear Huey Lewis. And it was Prince. None of us knew who Prince was. And I mean, he totally got booed off the stage. And, you know, what I wouldn't do to go to Prince instead of Huey Lewis in the news these days, you know. Hold on. Wait, wait, yep. wait. Yep. My head just but exploded. I I mean, none of us knew who Prince was at the time. So I just, okay, but, okay, okay, I just, my head's blowing up right now. Like, I've just been transported to a different dimension. Because to be a person, to, like, be that guy who was physically booing Prince, like, who was booing his heart out, right? And then, like, later on, you're like, wait, oh, wait, hold up. That's I want to be sure you know, I personally didn't boo Prince. Okay. But okay. <laughs> I also don't think about whoever booked those two people. I mean, what a, I mean, that. Right, it's a contrast, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah, definitely a contrast. Yeah. But the thing yeah. is, is like, it, um, it, for me, it just begs to like, I, I think about it like this. Well, it, 
I personally think it probably should have been the other way around, right? Maybe <laughs> yeah, Huey yeah. Lewis should have been opening up for Prince. Like, so for me, that's the first thing. I'm like, wait, huh? You know, like, how does yeah. that work out? And then yeah. um, number two is just interesting that, like, that happened in reality. Like, really? Like, like it's a fascinating thing. And I, I think it begs to the point to 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 me it's like it doesn't matter it happened to everybody like everybody gets yeah. booed right every like prince yeah. got booed and yeah it's just like it's a real thing so you just got and he kept it pushing and he's prince you know like that's that's yeah. wild whoa yeah you know and that is interesting because i agree with your point that you know sort of everyone goes through those ups and downs and mm -hmm. everything the other thing that just really makes me intrigued about us as 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 humans is you know was it a crowd that didn't really like prince's music or was it just so different at the time that people weren't ready for that that change you know and and if you didn't know it and you weren't familiar you just viewed it as negative instead of being sort of open to something that was different and, and i don't know the answer but but yeah. it intrigues me it really does but Susie, prince is like jerome like <laughs> like prince is like jerome like he is a he is one of the greatest of all time like it i just feel like that guy no matter what song it is and he has like any from darling nikki to little red corvette to diamonds and pearls like they're all different energies but they're all great yeah. right so i for me i've been to like shows in la and here's the one thing that i could think of i think it was a perfect storm of alcohol and impatience right because yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know i think those two coupled <laughs> together it you get a neglect for the beauty that's in front of you because i mean really you had arguably one like these people like they're they're drunk they're in a rage and they're just yeah. their receptors are turned off but if they turn them on they'll realize like man this guy and maybe it wasn't one of his best nights but i'll tell you what prince is worse night is probably better than a lot of people's oh. best nights yep 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 I, I i couldn't agree more although although you named all these uh print songs that are incredible i have to say i've always pondered i can't decide if i love raspberry beret or dislike raspberry beret <laughs> but it's a song i sing no matter what I hear it, I sing it. Right, right, yeah. So now I have to ask, was this during the Purple Rain time? No, it was before that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was, I I am sure at the time my parents probably wouldn't have allowed me. I mean, we were young in high school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. And, and, and went down there. Um, you know, that's sort of always the thing in L.A., um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I assume young people still do it, but, I mean, we just used to go down to Hollywood all the time, um, um, and there were a lot of neat experiences there. There really were. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. Just be safe out there, kids. But, yeah, definitely, exploration is it's the spice of life. 
Oh, that's <laughs> wild. So now I mean, like, can you is that because that's a pretty big one, and I'm happy to close out Susie's concert stories with that. But if you have another one, like we're all ears. No, the only one I'll tell you the worst one I ever went to mm-hmm. was uh, Frankie goes to Hollywood. Do you even remember Frankie goes to Hollywood? They sang really one song, and it was "Relax." And I and don't. I huh. well, what makes you know they weren't real good is they sang the uh, "Relax" as both in the concert and as their encore because it was the only song <laughs> that anyone oh, wow. knew. And wow. I will tell you, and I don't want to get into detail. But they were doing things on stage that I couldn't figure out. I mean, I was a little young, but not totally naive. And I just was not sure what was going on. Oh, man. So, oh, wow. Oh, so wow. that's, my, that's my, 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 my BS side of that. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic, man. That is fantastic. Like the the stories. Yeah, we got some, man, this has been, this is a, a fantastic episode so far. So now, Susie, um, I, I'm curious. So like growing up in L.A., like there's there's some great food out in L.A., right? Um, when I go to L.A., I like to go uh, to Chinatown. That's like one of my favorite places to go to to get food. What were, uh, what's some of your favorite like uh, classic L.A. um places to eat you know that's sort of interesting because as as we were talking about you know i graduated from high school and and left and never went back Mm -hmm. and 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 that was not necessarily the plan but it was just the life Mm -hmm. uh uh, you know took on but so i went through you know sort of my high school years at just wanting to hang out at the beach and drink beer and play volleyball and 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 so did not did not take in a lot of those sort of finer things Mm. with that said some of the big things were we were in hollywood we used to go down to okie dogs and you know pinks is the big place now but okie dogs was the big the big place that people went and hung out then Mm. we also used to go to to Melrose and um there was an Italian restaurant called uh Fellini's which I think is long gone but I used to think it was so cool you'd go to this Italian restaurant and they would give you chopsticks to eat with and and it was you know it, it just was um you know it was something as 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 a young person that seemed big city, unique, uh, I'm going to use the word sophisticated, you know, just, just very, very different, uh, for that. But man, most of the time I was playing volleyball at the beach or riding my bike, eating at some, some dive down in, in Hermosa or Redondo beach. Dive bars are the best. They have the, uh, yeah. Redondo Beach, man. I'm trying to think when the last time I've been there. Huh. It's been, it's been a while. So I'm curious. Um, 
So it's it's funny because it's like you're you're saying like, hey James, look, I was kicking it. Like I was in high school, we were we were partying. <laughs> so then, how did it? Okay, so okay, really quick because I have like four different directions I want to take this interview. Um, first off, hold on one second, Susie. Okay, so next I, I want to talk uh, really quick about the aspect of um. Do you think that? Oh man. Okay, so do you think that without um, without all of the partying and all of that, like if you had taken art, like or if you had not done all of that, that you would have the appreciation, or you'd be in the position now, or do you think that there's a way that you could be? in the Hagen Museum if you hadn't done all the kicking it. Because it seems like in life, we oftentimes do things and they lead us to a certain place. But when we're in that spot, it doesn't really make sense. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. And that that's interesting. I never really thought about it that way. Um, you know, hey, James, I cannot uh, even pretend to be any different than, than the fact that I understand um, that that um, I and it really is my my parents and my family gave me a lot of um, uh, privilege, a lot of structure, a lot of opportunity, safety nets. That's really what they did. I never screwed up bad enough that I, I, I hurt myself or ended up in a bad hole, mm -hmm. but I always had the safety nets and and so i think i really was fortunate to have a foundation that really sort of helped me um um get you know sort of where i am today and i think that foundation was huge i think the life experiences have made me much more versatile so i think i have been able um to look at my opportunities through um, more lenses. And I think that makes you uh, um, a more layered person and, and have more fabric and more authenticity to you because you found out what you value and what you don't or that you can have respect for for um, directions or paths you didn't go down, but you could see how easy it might have been to go down another path. Mm -hmm. So I do think that um, that helped me um, a, a, a lot to, to sort of find my own way. But I do think the foundation that I was so fortunate and the only reason I had was just luck of having having uh, good parents and family there. And, and I recognize that, that that's just luck. I didn't do anything to get that mm -hmm. that that um, helped. And, and like I say, I think the big word is is provided a safety net that that should have anything gone wrong or to to bump me in other directions when I started to tilt a little too far. Right. Uh, so I, I hear that. Um, and I'm curious more on the art side being, you know, in the, in the fine art field, being in a museum, are there any, what are the things um, that you 
like that you see that are happening in the fine art industry or like it just in general like in the museum or the gallery world were some of the things that like if you had a magic wand that you would that you would change or that you would like to see improve um because i'm kind of curious about that well you know let's just briefly talk about you know what's going on in our 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 world as a whole about um injustice um underrepresentation um racism um you know all of those things the fine arts as a whole has has been a a a a, a place that limited people have had full exposure to. Now, it's ironic because, in general, I think artists love to learn from each other and are very open people. Um, but, you know, we look at, um, I believe the stats are that um, women's art only makes up 3 to 5% of permanent holdings in museum collections. I don't know what the actual number of people of color, but we know that's got to be a similar number. And, you know, we, we need to reflect our, our world. Um, and, uh, and fine arts is no different. You know, it's interesting, the issue of, like, women in fine arts, which I happen to just know a little bit more about, and, you know, we have the artist Rosa Bonheur, and it's a, a perfect example of, of, of that. You can talk about, like, a collection of ours only has a couple of women artists, but at the time, our art, late 18th and early 19th century, um, women weren't allowed in art school. So how many accomplished fine artists could have there been to collect? Right. And so I... I sometimes ponder if the Haggins having a, a, a couple was actually a lot for them to have collected or not. I mean, it's still mm. a very small percentage and doesn't make it um, any better. But the fact that they collected a couple, maybe they were progressive about that. You know, right, I, right. I, I, that's hard. That's hard to say in a stretch, but, um, there is is definitely sort of that big issue that I, I think that that especially the fine arts. The other thing that we hear about, um, and I guess I don't believe this because I don't want to believe this, but I've read several studies where um, young people, and I don't know how you want to define young people in this, but do think it's just as valuable to see a digital image as it is art in person. And as I alluded to earlier, I think that there is a, a complete element of the experience of being in person with a painting um, that is missed in the digital format. That You know, there's digital artwork that's wonderful and, mm -hmm. and it's great that we can share paintings but um i think i think the fine arts world has to find a way to articulate to people in a way that they can understand that they're going to get something and help them get something from that in-person experience 
Yep, definitely. So it's, and I think for me, the way it's like the open studios and having people come to see the work in person. Um, because that's traditionally, even though I, I sell a, a lot of work through Instagram, it's primarily, I would say 85% of the people have been, well, we'll say 80% of the people have been in my studio at some point. Um, so it's like, it, it's, it's definitely interesting to have people in front of paintings because if they're big, then like, you know, like the Bougaro, you feel like you're engulfed in this painting. And if it's a small painting, like the V bears or the Jerome's it's, you have this, um, it's an intimate space, you know, filled with all of this lush detail. Um, yeah. And that's kind of hard conveyed through a screen. Yep. I couldn't agree with you more. And the other thing that I've seen, we posted a couple of um, uh, plein air events. And mm. you know what I have really found as people watch the artist create the work, mm. somehow I think there is a psychological thing that almost makes them feel like they contributed or they were part of it. And so I think they automatically feel this connection uh, um, uh, to the work a little bit. And, and I think that then that makes them more likely to be a sale. And I know when I think about that logically, it's, it's crazy to have that feeling. But when you see the artist make the stroke or when you see the same thing that they see and you realize um, – that you 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 missed it. I I think that's a connection. You know, I have this um, sort of strange example, but we have this local artist who painted the this painting of downtown Stockton, mm -hmm. and I thought it was beautiful. And I was like, but I wonder why she added all those palm trees. And I afterwards went down, and all those palm trees are there. I never saw those palm trees wow. in real life until I saw them in her painting. And that was just interesting to me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, it, it just gives us a chance to, to slow down. You know, it's a, it's a part of town that I just go through to go to a meeting or I go through to go to the movie theater that I just had never stopped and really enjoyed and took in its beauty until I saw the beauty of it in her painting. Right. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, definitely. It'll be interesting uh, once things open up and you guys can get another plain air event uh, going. I'm definitely going to have to pull up. Yeah. Yeah, no, those have been really popular. People really seem to like them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I would say one of the things that I think is interesting for um, uh, artists that have a lot of plein air experience is um, as much as what I think I'm saying is true, um, I also think some of them can paint a, a, a finished piece so quickly. And, and so it, that, that whole pricing thing, which, by the way, I think is one of the hardest things artists have to do is figure out where to price themselves. Um, but, you know, people sometimes can see, you know, I've seen an artist that can do an incredible piece, you know, in an hour and a half, and then they want to sell it for, you know, $2,500. And people say that it only took you an hour and a half. 
Well, and then I they're like, that's it. why it's two twenty five hundred dollars. I mean, yep, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And 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 let's you probably can't even take a picture of it like that, right, <laughs> you man. know. But but I think all of that's important. Mm-hmm. I really do. Yeah, it's definitely, and it's it's it is it's difficult. Pricing is definitely a, a tricky part of the whole um aspect but you know um i think also it's one of those things where it's for me it's kind of like uh i try to adjust the market accordingly and um you know i i have a few you know i have like what i like to call my um my uh a, a pricing guy who kind of looks like, Hey, J- yeah. like how much with this, how much you think this, okay, well this is, you know, and I'm able to kind of figure out the standard market rate for what yeah. I'm doing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely tricky to get all of that stuff because I feel like there's, there's people who understand what goes into it. There are people who they don't really understand, but they appreciate the craft. And then there are people who they don't understand. So you, you have to haggle or they want to try to talk you down or there's a, um, there's just like a, what you call like a tug of war when it comes yeah. to like creating yeah. this piece of art for them. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's definitely a, it's, it's a tricky part and as smooth as we can get the transactions artists, you, we, I guess we, we try to make them, but, um, also I kind of want to talk to you about, cause we, we've been all over the map, right. And we've talked about, um, we talk about pricing. We talk about uh, the the plain air events, uh, acquiring art. So uh, my question for you is, is like, because we're about an hour and 20 minutes into this, Susie, and I, I don't want to take up all your time. Like, I'm here for it. I'm here for however, like, we'll go. You know what I'm saying? Like, but I just want to let you know that's kind of how far we are into this. Um, so my next question for you is, is like, if, if artists want to pursue because I know you have like the free day exhibit you have uh certain things that you have like you said the Bank of America exhibit they would reloan it to you afterwards but if there are artists who are looking to try to get in a, a show at the Hagen how does one go about doing it do they write a letter of intent and mail it in and submit a portfolio or how does that work yeah, you know, and, and it, it is not that formal or sophisticated a process, but it definitely um, should should be a letter and and um, enough information on on sort of um, understanding what the artist can really provide you know one of it is is really a reality is this proposing an idea or is this a show that is been curated that has content labels that has an understanding of potential programming to go with it because you know that's what we're looking at sort of the whole package of 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 where it fits into our schedule, um, what we can utilize. A lot of times for us, we try to look at how it ties to some aspect of our collection or some program we want to do 
or something that's going on in the community. You know, all of those things aren't mandatory elements of it, but we try to look at it from so many different angles. And I know artists are are busy and have lots of things going on. So I, I we need something sort of formal enough that that we can look at it and get a pulse of the direction of what's being talked about and 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 really sort of what expenses there are from our end and then um, and then if if it starts looking like it makes sense then we can go sort of the next uh, the next layer with with some more um, detail and you know maybe full portfolios and everything the other thing that i i and i just can't believe that we're different than most museums on this Mm -hmm. um and and that is um there's some people that we haven't done shows with um and actually i can think of this this local photographer's name's arturo vera and i would say Probably for 15 years, he had talked to me about doing a show, and it never happened. And he's a quality photographer, a great guy, serious. I really, you know, wanted to make it happen. And it didn't happen till about two years ago. And it was a fluke. We saw this opportunity, and we called him up. And so for him, it seemed out of the blue, but yet he had been sort of working on it in a way for 15 years. Like he was on your radar. Yes. And I guess that's what my point is, is, um, is, is that's where I really do think that, that relationships are, 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 are what make these opportunities happen. Um, obviously, you know, there's hard work and there's some luck and, you know, all of that. But um, just because something isn't right at that moment Mm -hmm. is far from it being. And that's, again, too, when people feel just like when we're talking about Prince getting uh, booed, when when sometimes people feel like it it is a rejection that is definitely not not the case it's 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 trying to balance all of the things of 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 where we are and you know for us to be really frank for example when we did the the major um remodel of our core art galleries Mm -hmm. we were looking for temporary exhibits that were packaged deals and easier because our staff was tapped out with our core collection Mm -hmm. you know so some of it just depends on timing but yeah we have um it, there are really three levels of committee it goes through. There's there's a, a, a staff committee and two level of board committees that they go through. But um, but but sort of a, a just a, a a basic letter with some experience and 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 what the goal of the exhibit is, and and what what the artist or the artist group provides. Um, we very rarely. But yet, I can come up with a million exceptions. We very rarely do single artist exhibits. Mm-hmm. We usually try to do multiple artists, um, you know, some sort of um, theme group uh, type of thing. Um, again, I can come up with exceptions to mm-hmm. everything that I've just said, but in general, that's what we try to do. And that's really because we're trying to reach the broadest audience we can get. Mm-hmm. I hear it. But, I hear it. 
but I will say people are, are, are silly. You know, I hear people, people say this to me all the time and I do sometimes want to call them on it, but I understand they say they've been trying to get an exhibit here forever. Mm-hmm. And I'm on the first committee. I'm like, I've never heard from you. <laughs> I, I understand maybe in your mind, maybe in your heart, you, you, you know what I mean? And I understand you have casual conversations and you don't feel that it's gone very far. Mm-hmm. And, and hey, and I, by the way, I am sure there are people that we should have responded to that we blew it and didn't. I, I you know, I, 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 everything's a two-way street. Mm-hmm. But it is funny. I think a lot of people are are, are afraid to ask, and and um, and that's that's not that's not good for anyone. It's it's not good for those people who want to show, and it's not good for us as an institution because we're always looking for for new and creative ways um, to lack of a better term, entertain and educate our community. Right, right. And a closed mouth doesn't get fed. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. Yeah, that's, it's definitely good to hear. It's, that's a, because it, it lets everyone know that the important part is the first step is, you know, reaching out and formulating a plan. Well, the first step is, I would guess, formulating a plan, but reaching out uh, to establishments is actually um, a large step in the process outside of like informal talks and conversations. If yeah. you're, because yeah. it's like if you want to, um, and, and you know what's crazy is is we're just going to, and I haven't really talked about this on the podcast because I've been trying to save it for like a bonus episode, but I'm going to touch a little bit on it. Um, and that's the residency that I applied for. Yeah. Right? Because I didn't get the residency. But the thing that I did learn was how to write a letter of intent. You know, so it's like, okay, this is kind of what it's on a small scale. Um, I have some other plans that that we'll talk about later off the air um, that I'll run by you. But on a small scale, it was like, okay, so if I do want to do an exhibit or something like that, this is sort of the formula that I would go with um, for something like that. Yep, and that's and you know that's actually what I was even going to say about the 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 residency. Um, again, what all that shows is 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 that that you have the process and the pieces in place. Getting accepted really in 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 some level isn't isn't the hard part it, it it will happen if you keep doing those kind of things and you learn the process because it is a process you know almost everything we do is and you sort of have to learn and i'm sure that's what's hard even with museums is everyone's process is a little bit different but you know it's funny we joke about like you know you do press releases trying to get news out well the best way to get your story told in the press is send a good press release 
so you've done some of the work for them, you know, so they don't have to do all the legwork. I mean, that's true about an exhibit, too. You know, we have a bunch of things here as staff that we do other than exhibits. Knowing that we have a partner in the person who wants to bring this exhibit, that it's all not fallen on us, is 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 a welcome sign. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, that's important. Um, and you just, yeah, that's... You just gave me an idea too, so that's great. Oh, good. <laughs> we like that. Oh man, yeah, definitely. So, Susie, we're we're yeah. It's been an hour and thirty minutes. I'm here and I'm I'm tapped in, but I don't want to soak up your entire day, right? So, um, that so really quick, but before we're up, you know, like as we wrap this episode up and we kind of get, um. <laughs> we close this out i'm curious are there like what would you say uh because we talked about you know what you would like to happen as far as inclusion in the museum and and it's interesting because um you know during the the last few months there was that whole fiasco in indiana at the newfields museum and (laughs) Susie, what were they doing over there what was wrong with them (laughs) oh man you know what's interesting though is is like so i think okay so i i would i would ask and it's kind of see this question is kind of like a i want to ask like in a more delicate way like how important is it to like just be mindful of your words but i think that the stories that you were telling and when you had said like having different experiences affords you a different lens looking at things right yeah so my my question is is like how how do we get people who have like I guess like that that's the whole thing like how it seems like it's pretty important right to make sure that the people who are in these positions have but how do you pre-qualify like how does that even work you get what I'm saying because you can't ask like when someone's uh applying for a position or something like that it seems like I'm curious as like how you prevent stuff like that from happening in the first place You know, and I I wish I had a magic answer, and I I certainly think about it, and I I certainly try to reflect on on things that I have said in the past, um, you know, that that maybe I should have had better judgment or something, and, and, um, you know, and, and... and what I, I guess the, the, the simple thing, which isn't an answer to your question, and I get that, is, you know, I, I try to figure out if people are, 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 are genuine. Um, you know, if someone's genuine and makes a mistake, they're usually willing to genuinely apologize and learn. Um, and, and how do you do that um, in an interview when you're hiring people? I don't know, um, because my answer to you historically, what I would have said, mm-hmm. um, was for me, a lot of that is based on my gut. But as, as, as we're talking more about things like institutional racism and stuff, 
you know, I worry, um, you know, what my gut has been influenced by, um, you know, and, and, um, and, and so I, um, I, I, I think those things struggle. I, I will tell you, I, I thought long and hard and, and to be perfectly honest, it was, um, um, after George Floyd and, and the black lives matter, uh, movement, um, uh, the mayor of Atlanta, um, uh, one of the things she talked about mm-hmm. is that we need to be better and do better. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how much that resonated with 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 me. And 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 that's I I guess that's sort of what I think I'm looking for is 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 someone who who wants to do better and recognizes there's better to be done. And I don't think that matters where we are. There will always be more and better to be done, you know? And, and, and so it's it somewhat in some of those things, that's an attitude. Um, the other thing is I've, I've, I've listened and luckily I don't feel that I've had to deal with this, at, 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 right at this moment, mm-hmm. but um, what sort of ramification? What lines can an employee cross that you find unacceptable, um, and and that you're going to make a stand on? Um, and and I think those are tough decisions. Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely. Yeah. And I don't know. Do you do you have an answer for me? Um. Well, it's it's an interesting thing. I I can tell you the way I yeah. It, the, here's what I would think. I think that it's very important to consider like because you had said something that was true. You said like, hey, museums are a for profit thing. There's this. There's a profit um, that goes into it and we're here to you know service the public but at the same time we have to like make money and things like that so i think that while traditionally um museums have like been supported by a certain audience that's due to accessibility because one thing that this podcast has afforded uh, me is the access to different artists from like all different demographics, right? And one thing that I've noticed is there's a certain demographic of artists that like has been close to the fine art realm and like during childhood, adolescent years, been arm's length from museums and establishments, but felt intimidated um, or not maybe welcome or maybe neither of those apply, but maybe there wasn't a direct access route. There was never any, you know, family members who said, Hey, let's go to the museum or never any, um, museum, uh, museum trips in school or anything like that. Because I know growing up in Fresno, um, I went to Ernie Pyle and like, I went to Fort Miller and then McLean and then Edison. And I mean, the Hagen's been there, right? So we never, I never knew about the Hagen. So, and so I say that to say it's important for, we had started out with you talking about access to to art in school and, and children, but I think it's important to actually, um, 
spearhead the effort for awareness. And I think that it's important to understand that like, while culturally things are shifting um, with like entertainment, sports, things like that, we have to like reflect that in the fine art space because like you had said well there was a certain time where women couldn't paint so these are the paintings in the Hagen collection but then like are also I think it's important to look at like okay um what other what other what other demographics are there because for example the I had an episode this morning, which was pro which was last week, because this will come out Monday. So episode 85 was with uh, Alicia Lisa Brown and she's from Jamaica. And we talked about, you know, being in Jamaica and like not really having access to oil paint or anything like that, but still making art. So I think that it's important for institutions to realize that while their income is coming from a certain place. If they tapped into a community and urban environments, there would be like, there's going to be income. There's going to be memberships because like these environments support things like they're not environments that don't come with money. Right. So it's like they're, they're supporting, uh, net like, like Netflix, the gym, Nike. So like when it comes to fine art, if there is like a representation there, if there's, cause a lot of people don't understand like who Henry Asua Tanner is or why he's important or who Robert S. Duncanson is and why he's important. Like if there's a push for that and maybe some contemporary, um, representation then I think that that helps um because it's all in it's it's like the first thing is like reaching out and then the second thing is like um actually bridging the gap and then because there's a lot of fine art that could be appreciated and like there's a lot of money that could be made like if, if a museum like flies in or like a few Robert S. Duncanson paintings and then they have that exhibit like people are going to come and check that I know I would come and check that out so I think that that's something that also is is underserved because the thing is um Susie and I'll use modern technology I want to talk to you about NFT for a second but I want to use um an app to make a case in point there's an app that I don't use and it's called Clubhouse and it's essentially an app uh that you go on and you create a room and you just talk right and that's all it is like people create these rooms and they talk and it's like kind of like a podcast but with a bunch of people in the room so here's what happened clubhouse first they did a hedge fund they tried to launch this app nobody jumped on it and it was not like nobody it was just like okay all right, whatever. And then they reintroduced it. They got some people who were like entertainers, like uh, musicians, athletes to like use it and, and things like that. And then on the second wave, it blows up. And I say that <laughs> to say it, it works if you do it right. You know, I mean, like if you yeah. look at like Jay-Z, he had Cristal and then Cristal was like, hey, we don't want black people to buy our stuff. And then he messed around and then he had Ace of Spades and then now he sold Ace of Spades to Moet. So, I mean, I think that he's a fine example of a rapper talking about the importance of buying art, fine art and things like that. So 
it's the it's the establishment the establishments uh making the connections to the community and then that through that connection there's gonna come this symbiotic relationship um and and awareness increased representation in these establishments and money on that end and then through that hopefully we can get some um you know through through these through that like maybe there can be some added programs and things like that in schools or you know like because if you have like plain air events or something like that and they're open and it's under the guise of like okay we have this robert s duncanson painting coming in um hudson river school second generation we're also doing a plain air event people who come in like you said they feel a part of that and then maybe there are some kids who start painting plain air because they feel like hey bong bong can i talk to your sound people for some applause for you okay i just have to keep that in so was i sizzling Susie? yes 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 no, you're right on. You're 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 right on, um, and and you know all those things. It sounds like an excuse, and I got to be careful of that. But institutions, things have become institutionalized mm-hmm. by definition, mm-hmm. and and so it is. It is breaking those things down, um, and and yet still being able to utilize some of the strengths. Um, that they, that they have, you know, some of that reach and everything. But I, I think you're right on. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So I want to, before we close out, I want to get your opinion on this whole NFT thing and how this is moving. And do you think that it's good as far as like authentication for art or do you think that it's bad or what are your feelings about it? You know, I, I have to tell you, um, if, if, if I felt like I really understood it, I would fully commit to the conversation. Okay. But you know, when I heard like, uh, Grimes did a video and, and, and it sold to me, that made me think that someone like Elon Musk might get involved. <laughs> and therefore I felt like it might be a whole new market for people and 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 I believe that the digital authentication is a really interesting issue and potential problem down the road you know that people deserve a right to have their their works authenticated and 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 not everyone having the the ability to reproduce and everything in certain so um I find it intriguing, but I have actually read quite a bit about it. And, um, you know, I even heard um, golfer Bryson DeChambeau tried to do, um, like, playing cards and that that was a total bust. So I don't know what it's really going to take to make it work and and, and part of the mainstream, but I will say – I, I think looking at things creatively is is the way to find answers. I'm not sure that I I think this is going to be it, mm-hmm. but um, but but people sort of protecting their own talent and their work and finding alternative ways to make money. I I'm I support both of those. Um, 
but boy, you know, most of the things I've read are about, well, this is what I've read, and, and we'll, we'll try to give you a better understanding. Um, but no one has said, let me explain this to you clearly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because from what I understand, it's um, it is a way to sell a digital good that um, essentially it's like you can sell something and then the there's a like a blockchain like a that's a, yep. that's connected to it and then if it's resold based on the resale value the original creator gets a 10 percent profit on that resale so it's something that's really really interesting and in, in however many are made or however you know that's the amount so i'm looking yeah. into doing uh some some things on that side uh within the next few months here just to test out the waters and see how that stuff goes. Um, and you know what? That's yeah. actually, you know, testing out the waters and, and, and getting a pulse on it. Because you know what? The more of those type of things they are, even going back originally to Bitcoin, and I understand the difference, but, you know, all of that, you know, um, one of these at one of these times is is going to take hold and 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 being early in that process and understanding it probably either you have the success of it or get you ready for whatever iteration of it mm-hmm. does become something real right. and so i i think i think staying on top of that kind of innovation and creativity is is valuable um i i, I don't know um, like I say, I, I sort of joke, but the second I saw that Grimes did this video, I, I'm like, you know, Elon Musk is the type of person that can change this, just uh, just yeah. like you talked about Jay-Z. Mm-hmm. You know, I, um, th- there, are, there are people that could single-handedly uh, make this the next it, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and, and so it's, it's interesting, and it's an interesting conversation um, because the digital thing is in, in some ways gotten away from us. Um, um, you know, I even look about archival things that we have at the museum that we've taken pride, although we share them for free. I so much wish that we would have um, even just done our own watermark on it so, so people would know where it came from, even though there isn't money tied to right, it. Right. So, um, so and then you go to things where there is value tied to it. It's a whole different story. So oh, I'll be interested to hear, hear, hear what you sort out and what, what row you, you go down on that channel. For sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I will keep you um, abreast on the event adventures. So the last thing I wanted to plug really quick is you guys um, as society opens up, uh, put your quarters up and support your local museums. Um, look into getting a um, a membership in some capacity because it helps out. And uh, also feel free to, um, while you're at your local museums, go to uh, the gift shop because, yeah, that's always a good place. I love the Hagen <laughs> Museum gift shop. Thank you. We love that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's a beautiful place. So, Susie, before we get out of here, do you have any shout outs that you want to give? 
You know, my 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 two biggest shout outs are again artists and creatives. Congratulations for for keeping up the grind during this really tough time, and um, I I I hope it pays off for you. And I really do think that we can be part of the recovery. And James. Thank you for making me number 86. Yes, I appreciate it. (laughs) 86 is a a special number, definitely. (laughs) Okay, so now where can they catch you on the web? You know, um, let me say as... As Susie at the Hagen, I I am both on Instagram and uh, Twitter. Um, The museum um, website is hagenmuseum.org. And um, obviously, love you to follow us, find out what's going on here. As I always say about temporary exhibits at our museum or any museum, I get it. There are things that will not interest you. That's fine. Just want you to keep coming back to the website to check out because I also guarantee that we do have such a diverse exhibit schedule that you'll find something that interests you and and we don't want you to miss it when we do have that. For sure. So follow the Hagen Museum, guys, and uh, the Hagen Store on Instagram. Um, Yeah, because the gift shop, man, Shaw still lays in the gift shop for uh, selling me things that I didn't know I wanted. (laughs) They do a great job. They do. Yeah, she has, uh, Lisa, who runs our gift shop, has has a great eye and a real good understanding uh, real asset for our museum. Yeah, yeah, because she definitely, she, I told her, I said, yeah, she had showed me a book. She said, yeah, we're having a sale. I said, okay. And then so, you know, check out the sale table I'm looking at. I said, yeah, there's not anything here I really want. I like that French and Italian kind of stuff. And then she leaves. And I should have, like, when she left and went back in the store, I should have broke out the front door because she came back, <laughs> Susie, with this book by Edgar Payne. Or, uh, yeah, Edgar oh. Payne. And then she was just like, hey, you might like this. And it was just like this impressionist, like Southwest, you know, like landscape painting. And I said, oh, man, I decided to get it. You know, I was like, okay, yeah, let me get that in. Let me get two stickers. (laughs) 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 So, yeah, definitely. So we appreciate you coming out. Um, And with that, we're going to wrap this up. You could be anywhere on the internet, but you're here with us, and we appreciate that. Catch us again next week, same BS time, same BS channel. Once again, this some stuff I just thought of y'all. Scientific fiction is not missable in no court of law. I'm out of here like Vladimir. James Drill's over and out. I told you from the dough. I told you from the get-go. You don't got to go home, but you got to go. Art and Bullshit Podcast.